uh, as we've been told, is still Pentecost Sunday, and this is the first Christian sermon that uh, was ever preached uh, in the church by the Apostle Peter. And I'm actually going to focus on the the response uh, in verses 37 to 39. And and really, the, the question we're going to ask is is how do I become a Christian? Uh, I don't know if you've thought that question for yourself or if anyone's ever asked you uh, that question, how do I become a Christian? But uh, I can think of no better place uh, in the Bible for you to look to or to point others to if they ask that question than um, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 39, because that's that really the answer to the question, how do I become a Christian? And, and remember, this is um, Pentecost Sunday, so we're still on that day, and, and we've been looking at it. Pentecost means 50 days. Um, why 50 days? Because it's 50 days after the Passover feast, and um, particularly this Pentecost Sunday, something um, pretty important happened on that particular Passover, and that is that our Lord was crucified on the cross, and so it's 50 days uh, since then. And uh, there are three big festivals that uh, the Jews celebrated throughout the year. So they celebrated the, the Passover, which was 50 days ago, then uh, Pentecost, and also the Feast of Tabernacles. And so uh, during these festivals, the, the population of Jerusalem would um, really um, grow three to four times uh, its usual population. So uh, maybe from thirty to 50,000 people then during these festivals to up to 200,000 People. And so just try to picture the scene on Pentecost Sunday. It was a hive of activity, hustling and bustling. It was buzzing. There were 18 different tribes uh, we saw from last Sunday and tongues that were gathered. And, and if you read verse 41, there were 3,000 people added that day. So we're talking about a massive a hustling, bustling crowd. It's been 50 days since Jesus was crucified, 47 days since... Uh, Astonishingly, he rose from the dead, and now it's 10 days since he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Remember, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until uh, you've um, received the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they've been doing. Uh, They've been waiting. They've been praying for uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and waiting for God. And then then there's amazing manifestations of Power, the power of the Spirit that we looked at last Sunday. There was the, the sound of a violent rushing wind. There were these tongues of fire that came to settle on their heads. And then they spoke, declared the mighty deeds of God in all of these different languages. And remember that the, the crowd, this great big crowds there, there were 120 of them who were gathered, this massive crowd around them. And they're like, oh my goodness, they're, they're drunk. And and Peter's like, no, 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 they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what God promised about uh, the last days. And then, uh, and then he gets goes through into the sermon. And and as I said, I want to look at um, the the response to Peter's sermon this morning because that helps us answer the question: How how do I become a Christian? What's the response to this gospel message? And and I want to I want to show you there's three things uh, in in answer to that question. And, and the first in verse 37 is that it begins with the conviction of sin. It begins with the conviction of sin. And then then in verse 38, I want you to see that there's a call to action. And then finally, there are two core promises that Peter gives that are in the gospel. So firstly, it begins with conviction, verse 37. I wonder if you noticed, as you heard, um, that the reading of God's word today and Peter's sermon, that, that he just, he really doesn't pull any punches 
Uh, he, he really doesn't sugarcoat the message. Uh, he is not tickling their ears to tell them what they want to hear. Uh, in verse 22, he says, Jesus was a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you. And then he says, you crucified and killed him. This man who was attested to you with miracles and signs and wonders, you crucified him. And then the, the kind of uppercut punchline, verse 36, the final uh, uh, punchline of his sermon, therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Can you imagine? Mary Lewis um, tells a story of um, driving on her way to a job interview when a lady driving a fancy car uh, cut into her lane. And so she honked uh, loudly and let this kind of posh-looking lady uh, left her in no uncertain terms about how she was feeling about being cut off on the way to this job interview. And, uh, but she let her in, and while she was still fuming, she looked on the back of this fancy car, and she saw a sticker with the logo of this boutique company that she was going to have an interview for, and she was on her way. And so her anger turned into absolute horror is this the woman who is going to be interviewing me? This person that I've just judged, is she about to sit in judgment over me? Well, the closer that she got to her interview, she was getting more and more despairing and hoping that this car in front of her would turn off in some other direction and her heart sank deeper and deeper as she pulled up to the place and the car in front of her pulled into a parking lot with a big sign in front of it saying, Chief Executive Officer. <laughs> Mary just kept on driving <laughs> all the way home. All hope was lost. If you take what Mary was feeling in that moment of realisation and you multiply it by a thousand times, maybe a hundred thousand times, this realisation that the judge that she had just judged was about to sit in judgment over her, then you get close to how this crowd was feeling about how they treated Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah. God raised him, you crucified him, the judge. Jim Belcher says that the first step to revival is realization, the realization of who this Jesus is. John Newton puts it like this, my conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Revival begins with realization. In other words, Christianity is not just something that you pick up like, like a hobby or a sport or a religion. No, you don't pick up Christianity. Christianity picks you up. 
And you know what? This actually takes us to the very heart of what it means to become a Christian. It's, it's when your sin goes from being some abstract idea that you know about to a personal thing that cuts the heart. And, and who knew this better than Peter? You remember Peter's story, right? 50 days ago, he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Do you think he knew the Ten Commandments? Do you think he knew thou shall not lie? Do, do you think he felt guilty about breaking the Ten Commandments and, and doing the wrong thing? Do you think he felt like a failure? It's interesting, isn't it? Because it wasn't until a moment that Luke describes in chapter 2, verse 61, that things changed for Peter. It says, the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus, who'd been bloodied, beaten and brutalised. It it was in that moment that Peter was cut to the heart. So here's the difference. It's it's one thing to know that you've broken the rules, that you you feel bad, you feel guilty. It's another thing entirely to know that you've broken his heart. It's one thing to realise that that the Bible has rules, but it's another thing entirely when you realise that the Bible is about a relationship. A relationship with the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who's given everything that you have and sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. When you can say, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Peter knew that he was an accomplice. He came to that awful realisation that he was an accomplice. And through the extraordinary forgiveness that he experienced, he stands up in front of the crowd and he says, you crucified the one who God declared as King and Messiah and Lord. You're an accomplice. How do you become a Christian? It begins with the conviction of sin, verse 37. That's point number one. Point two, there's a call to action. Look at verse 36. In response, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now this um, word for repent in the Greek, it's metanoia. It means to to change one's mind, to change one's way. Uh, Mark Buchanan says, Repentance is a ruthless dismantling of the old ways of seeing and thinking and then a diligent and vigilant building of new ways of seeing and thinking. It's, it's a complete turnaround. Martin Luther says that all of life, all of the Christian walk is daily repentance. And so full-orbed repentance looks like at least three steps. Firstly, it's taking full responsibility for what you've done without excuses. So it's not one of the kind of um, you know, politicians or companies sort of, sorry, not sorry, I'm sorry that you were offended about what I said. No, it's taking full responsibility without excuses. And then step two, it's asking for forgiveness. It's like, it's like putting your head on the block. Asking for forgiveness. And and step three is then offering to make changes. To distance yourself from the sin. To distance yourself from the pleasure. The guilty pleasure that your sin brought. And to offer to, to make 
changes to go to faith. That's why they ask, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? How can we make amends for what we've done? Uh, Peter Adam, uh, one of my mentors, asked me uh, recently, when was the last time you changed something in your life because of what you read in the Bible? That's a good question, isn't it? When was the last time you changed something in your life because of something that you read in the scriptures? Uh, Paul Miller, I heard uh, recently in a podcast once say that that the old virtues in our culture uh, once upon a time were poverty, chastity and obedience. Uh, They were vows that people took even of poverty, chastity and obedience. And and, and then you think how far our culture has come today where really the, the, the cultural values are money, sex, and power. They're the perfect opposites to chastity, poverty, chastity, and obedience. No wonder at the end, Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The first call is to repent, to turn around, to go the different way. But the second call to action Peter makes is he says, repent and be baptized, which of course means to be drenched. It represents washing and cleansing of the forgiveness of sins. And so baptism is, a, is an outward sign of an inward reality that the washing of the, the body represents the washing of the soul, which is why he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins because the, the baptism represents the washing away of our sins and the cleansing of the soul. And so that the call to action is repent and be baptized. And then, and then finally, how do you become a Christian? Well, there's two core promises if you do that. Verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sins, that's the first core promise of the gospel. Have you ever been caught in the act of doing something wrong? I I, I shudder to tell the story, but one time my parents, my mum went away for the weekend when I was in year 10 and I decided to have a party with my mates. Her weekend didn't go so well, so she decided to come back early. Let's just leave it there. (laughs) Have you ever been caught in the act doing something wrong? Uh, James Montgomery Boyce uh, tells a story of a young Russian who was the son of a a close friend of Emperor Nicholas. Uh, And this young Russian, he was caught stealing from from the Emperor Nicholas. Uh, As the treasurer of a border fortress of the Russian army. This young man was uh, to manage the emperor's money and dispense wages to all the troops at the border fortress. But he started gambling. And then he tried to cover his losses by borrowing from the army treasury. And then one day he heard that a government auditor was paying a surprise visit to examine the books. So he sat down and he looked at the books and he saw that he owed a huge amount. He, he paid everything that he had into the debt and still there was a massive discrepancy between what he had and what he owed. And so having well under the amount due late into the night, he wrote a note, a great debt, who can, pr- who can pay? 
He couldn't pay. He didn't know anyone who could pay. So he drew out his revolver and he decided to end it all at midnight. But while he waited, he fell asleep. And while he slept, the emperor himself, Nicholas, paid a surprise visit and inspection. And, and he looked at the accounts, saw what he owed. He saw the despairing note. He saw the revolver and he realised that this young man had betrayed his trust. But rather than arrest the man, he decided to have mercy. He stooped down and he wrote something on this man's note and then he quietly left. A few hours later, before midnight, the man woke up and he took his revolver to do the deed and when he was about to do it, he looked at the note and, and he saw that someone had written on it. His note that said, a great debt... Who can pay? And there was one word written underneath. Nicholas, the name of the emperor. And sure enough, the next morning, a bag of coins arrived that was the full amount that he owed. Friends, can you see yourself in that story? That God has given you great wealth, everything that you ever had, and that you've squandered his wealth? and that you've racked up a huge amount of debt, and that one day the king of kings, the judge, we're going to have to stand before him and give him an account. And it's a debt that no one can pay. But out of his great love for us, he sent the Lord Jesus into the world to pay our debt on the cross in full for the forgiveness of sins so that we can be free without debt nothing against us because of his great love for us on the cross. It's what we call grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, his precious blood shed for us on the cross, more than enough to cleanse us and to pay our debt and to put us in right standing with our God. You know, this is just the most wonderful promise of the gospel, his forgiveness. But, but he goes further. You see, not only does God pour out his life for us in his son on the cross, but Peter goes on, he, he pours out the spirit of his son into our hearts. He says, you will receive the forgiveness of sins. That's through the pouring out of his precious blood on the cross. And then you will receive the gift of his spirit, the pouring out of the spirit of his son into our hearts. Paul says, so that we can cry, Abba, Father. Do you see how this is what made the early church so completely unstoppable? (laughs) And, And just this overflow of the declaration of good news spread across the world. You know, it's, it's what David's able to say, you, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's what led Paul to be able to say, you know, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gave me the life of his son, who poured out the spirit of his son into my heart. Those are the two core promises of the gospel the forgiveness of sins, and the fullness of the Spirit. As we wrap up this morning, I want to point out one last thing, and that is that this sermon was outdoors, wasn't it? It was a great big hustling, bustling crowd. I don't know if Peter had a big voice. I know they didn't have PA systems back then, 
but that this was an outdoor sermon. And, and you see that this, this, this flood of the gospel is beginning to spread. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus had said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and here he is preaching this gospel outdoors, that the, the kind of the dams being burst. And then in verse 39 of, of his sermon, he says, Peter says, for the promise is for you, for your children and for all who are far away. The message is about to spread. And of course, in Acts 28, by the end of the book, it's in Rome. This is for all who are far away from here, far away from God. Peter has, is a man possessed through the agony of his failure, through to the ecstasy of God's loving kindness, forgiveness, and the fullness of the Spirit. You know, another man who was possessed was a guy called George Whitfield. Uh, he lived in 18th century Britain, and he was so captured with the gospel that he just wanted to tell everyone this good news. But not many people came to church in his day and his age. You know, his job was to preach in church, but he wanted to preach to people, and the people weren't going to church. So he came up with a radical idea. Never happened, hadn't happened in centuries in Britain. He decided to preach the gospel outdoors. This was unheard of. He, he lived in a, a city, a town called Bristol in England, and he knew at the outskirts of that town was a place called Kingswood where the coal miners did their work. The, the coal mines were terrible places. The colliers, that's, that was the name that they had for coal miners, they, they were not a happy people. You, you can imagine the, the working conditions in, in mines, 18th century coal mining. These guys would die at the age of 40. Their lifespan was terrible. They got the black lung. They lived miserable lives and they were almost like pariahs, despised and dirty and rejected amongst the culture. And so how amazed were they when one night they come out of the mines at the end of the day and here's this guy, George Whitfield. He's probably in his clerical garb. He's probably got his powdered white wig on. He's standing up in a podium and he's saying, hey, I want to preach to you guys. They were astounded that someone like this, an Oxford graduate, one of the elites would, would come out to them at the mines. So they gathered around, hundreds of them, and they listened to George Whitfield preach a sermon just like Peter's on Pentecost Sunday about this Jesus who was crucified for the forgiveness of sins and for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, and they gathered and they listened and there were all these eyewitnesses that day because it was actually a history-making moment. Uh, this had never happened before. And this outdoor preaching, if you know the story, it spread across Britain and it's, it spread across the US as well. Uh, and, and this was the beginning of what has become known as the Great Awakening, one of the greatest revivals to sweep across Britain and the United States. But there were these witnesses there that day. And, and what was so interesting is that they saw that these colliers, you've got to remember, they, their faces were covered black with soot. And as they looked at them, they saw these white splotches appearing on their face. The eyewitnesses realized that these were tears of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God he had for them. In other words, 
they were cut to the heart. Now, we all have different temperaments, right? So I cry a lot more than some people I know by marriage. (laughs) But whether the gutters are on your cheek or on your heart, I, I want you to know this is how you become a Christian. This is how it happens. In the Old Testament, God says, I will remove from them their heart of stone and I will put in them a heart of flesh. I will move them to walk in my ways. Have you become a Christian? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us today. We confess that we can have hardness of heart. Easily we can become callous. Lord, may we be cut to the heart at the sight of the Saviour, nailed and pierced for our sins, poured out for us on the cross, and may we be filled again the fullness of the spirit of your Son. Lord, may our walk not be one where there's a stick bludgeoning us with the law, but, Lord, that there would be a gospel that melts our hearts and moves us to follow you, Lord. We don't just need a how-to. We need the heart too. So pierce our hearts again. And thank you, Lord, that this good news is for those who are far off. So help us, Lord, to find out who they are and send us, Lord, Thank you for the wonderful outpouring of your spirit, the spirit of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.